In fact, you have to be seated. So you don't block everybody else when we're learning the Word of God. All right, good morning again, everyone. We this morning will be once again featuring and thinking about a missionary organization called Mission Aviation Fellowship. They have a vision. That is that every person on earth will experience the love of Christ and respond to the gospel. They support through their flights indigenous churches, local evangelists. They create access to medical care and provide disaster relief. They also make community development projects possible. And they do it in some of the most remote places on earth. Again, we ask you to pray this morning in particular for the Mills family. They're in Papua, Indonesia. It's a husband and wife and three children, Kevin and Kim, other parents of Kyler, Caleb, and Kara. We again ask for your prayers for that organization, in particular for the Mills family. Their website is www.maf.org. www.maf.org. All right, let's begin with our message this morning. The title of today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14. And that's where I'd like you to turn now to 1 Timothy chapter 6, only we'll start in verse 11. Verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11. We are continuing to work through this letter of 1 Timothy, um, verse by verse. We're in the sixth chapter now. We're almost completed this uh, work, this study of 1 Timothy. Title again, today's message is, Until the Appearing of Our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that the Lord wants us to do until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And we'll see more of that this morning, of course. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Let's read it all together. I will read it, and you can read it silently. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and in the presence of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he, God the Father, will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Here in verse chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, once again, the cry that we heard in chapter 1 rings out again. Fight the good fight of faith. We last heard it at the outset, the beginning of this letter. Actually, I don't have the, yes, I do, there it is. The beginning of this letter, if you could turn now to 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. The first time we heard this cry. 1 Timothy 1, 18. Let's go back to that first chapter. We were there not so much, not so many weeks before this, 1 Timothy 1.18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, 
my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, those prophecies, you fight the good fight. The King James Version puts it this way. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. War a good warfare. The reason I read that is because in chapter 1, Timothy is compared to a soldier. It's a military situation. Remember, he is being summoned to battle against the false teachers. Now, however, we're in chapter 6. In chapter 6, Timothy is compared to an athlete. Soldier in chapter 1, fighting the false teachers. Athlete in chapter 6. The reason we know that is because the verbs are different. The verb in chapter 1 comes from military connotation. Here, the verb for fight is a different word. It has to do with an athletic struggle, an athletic competition. Why? Because now this is no longer a battle against people. He's done with that. Now he's moving into another conflict, a basic conflict that you and I are all engaged in ourselves. We may not all be fighting against false teachers. After all, that's primarily the responsibility of pastors and evangelists. But the fight we're going to look at this morning is a fight we're all enjoined in. We're all experiencing, whether we realize it or not. He's engaged in an athletic competition, a spiritual competition. And in particular, he's in a race. Notice, flee. You flee. If you're fleeing something, you're not casually moving away from it. You're running away from it. Running away from something and then running towards something else with all your might. Pursue. You're in pursuit. You're running after something, running away from something else. This is a race that will require everything that we have. Everything that Timothy had. In fact, this is the greatest of all contests for the Christian. The greatest of all contests is what we have here in chapter 6, verses 11, particularly to verse 14. Again, let's read it, the first verse. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue. Notice these things, we're going to have to figure out what that refers to, because that's what we're fleeing against. But then we see clearly in this verse what we're pursuing, what we're running after, as it were. We're we're trying to grasp and take hold of. What are those things? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. See, these are qualities of a person. We're going to see that the things that we're fleeing from are not people anymore. They're, they're, they're qualities, they're negative things that we're moving, running away from. We're putting away the old man, and we're putting on the new. So we're running. Again, the first thing is fleeing, running away from something. And the question is, is okay, Timothy must flee, but from what? From what are we, is, what is he fleeing from? What are we fleeing from? And the answer is really simple, evil. We're all fleeing from evil in various ways. Okay, the evil that's embedded in our flesh, the evil of the world, and also the evil of, of, of Satan and the fallen angels. We're in a race, running away from that. Running away from that. By the way, these evil things, the reason we know it's evil is because they're the things that Paul condemned. 
Right before this, in verses 3 to 10, we saw that last week. We ought to flee from strange teachings. We ought to flee from them. If you're hearing something that you know is against the word of God, flee from it. And I'm not talking necessarily we running physically. Remember, this is a metaphor from the intensity that we have in terms of running away, moving away, pushing aside, not having anything to do with false teaching. And I've said this many times, but I'll say it again this morning. False teaching is everywhere now. It's everywhere in the churches in the churches. Now, how do you combat something like that? How do you run away from it? There's only one way, and that is to be pursuing its opposite. And how do you know what its opposite is? Well, we have it right here. Righteousness, godliness, love, faith, perseverance, and gentleness. And actually, the way we particularly run and flee from those things, particularly false teaching, is by knowing our Bible. By knowing what the Word of God is. And by knowing, I just don't mean having an acquaintance with it, remembering something maybe you studied before. I mean, every day, being in God's Word. I, I'll tell you what, I have to do that. I have to do that. Obviously, I've, I guess the Lord figures I would have bad habits otherwise. So He's put me in a position where i got to do it. right? If I'm, if I'm living in my calling, I've got to be in the Word of God. But I'll tell you, it's such a blessing because when you read, I don't care what you're reading, especially if you're studying one thing like we do. We're studying on Sunday, 1 Timothy. When we gather together on Thursdays, we're we're studying Isaiah. And then you can start to see the connections between those two books, for example. And you start to deepen your understanding. And you can see the commonalities and, and, and the intensity with which Isaiah is dealing with evil in his day and Paul in his day, and that translates to us in our day. The evil things that Paul condemns, strange teachings, but also envy. Envy is not a person other than Satan and the fallen angels. What I mean by the envy that we're fighting against is, in our, own, is our own. We're, we're running away from what we see in ourselves. From envy and strife. Strife is, of course, something we engage in with other people, but the strife is in our heart. So is the abusive language that comes from us. Evil suspicions. They're our suspicions. You see, this is no longer fighting against anybody. It's a battle that goes on in our hearts, in our minds, in our soul. That's the ultimate contest. That's the ultimate competition that we're engaged in. He's saying have nothing to do with those things. Run away from those things. He, of course, it's put other ways in different places of God's Word. I mentioned one already. Put away the old man. Right? Also, stop sinning. The Bob Newhart approach. Right? Just stop it. Right? Well, that's what we're called to do. And here we're saying run away from it. It's all really the, the same thing. And remember, the key is the intensity. Don't let it sneak up on you. Don't have a casual approach to any abusive language that you may want to hear or, or get engaged in. Don't be casual and say, well, a little bit won't hurt. Everybody gets envious. Everybody gets jealous. No, that won't work. We're supposed to flee from that. We're supposed to be on our guard against it. Whenever it creeps up, we're supposed to immediately realize what's happening and then go in the opposite direction. And the opposite direction is easy. All you got to do is open your Bible. We're going to open our Bibles to a bunch of places. But all you have to do is open your Bible and you can see what you're pursuing. You're pursuing the things of God in his word, that's what we're in pursuit of. And, I, and it's the same, if you think about it, when you're running, you're automatically, when you run away from something, you're going in the opposite direction, you're also running towards something. 
And that's more important. That's the way you stay away from the things. The motivation is negative here, but it's positive there. What I'm running toward, that's, that's what motivates us. That's what, what grips us in our Christian life. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. Flee from the desire to get rich. We saw that. Right? Why? Because the love of money is the root of all the evils. We saw that. And so running away from the desire. Now that's your desire to get rich. You run away from that. You deal with what's in you. You understand that how, how toxic that is. And you have nothing to do with it. All right? You push it aside. Put as much distance as you can. Now, get, now here's the thing. We, we can't really do that. You might say, well, we're commanded to do that. Yes, but what I mean is that we don't have any power in and of ourselves to do it. We always have to rely on the power of the Spirit to do it. And so, now what is that all about? It's all about the fact, really, that the law, right? The law could try to do it. Don't do it. You shall not do it. You shall not covet. But that didn't work. You see, the law can tell us what not to do. It can even judge us for those things. But it can't give us life. It can't, it can't turn us away from that and towards the opposite in and of itself, the law. It can tell us, it can give us instructions, but the power isn't there in our own flesh. Only the Spirit has victory over the things of the flesh. Well, thank God that the Holy Spirit indwells in each one of our hearts. And yet we have the choice. You see, we still participate in this because we always have the choice between, between moving in the direction that the Spirit is, is, is propelling us to and still trying to live in the old things, living in the world, the way the world thinks. You, you can't do both. You're either, in your mind, you're either looking at something that the world is all about, like envy, like the love of money, or you turn around in the opposite direction and you're looking for righteousness and love and justice and perseverance. They're mutually exclusive. So that's our job, is to be pointed in the right direction. And the Spirit gives us the ability to run, in this case, walk in other cases. So never forget that. All right? We should never get arrogant and think we can do this by ourselves. We cannot. The desire to get rich. Remember we saw that? There's a chain reaction. In fact, I'd like you to... Let's go see that again. Let's just go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Just two verses back. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Remember this. But those who want to get rich fall. Those who want to get rich fall. That's a principle of the Word of God. It's found in other places too. What do you fall into? Again, I want to say this again. This is not saying being rich plunges you into temptation. Not at all. The desire, the love, the craving... Why? Because that's what you're focused on. Here again, the Lord doesn't want you to be craving and lusting after anything. But money is particularly dangerous. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. You open yourself wide up to all kinds of temptations. And there's a snare out there that's going to grasp you and hold you and imprison you. And many foolish and harmful desires. See, these are the things inside us that are stimulated by by the desire to get rich. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the worst things. You know, I mean, anger, jealousy, pride are all other things. But here Paul's dealing with the desire to get rich. 
And that, in turn, these desires, these harmful and foolish desires, plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all the evils. And some, by longing for it, money, have wandered away from the faith. You cannot serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. If you're moving in the direction of of greed, you can't be moving in the direction of what the Word of God is saying. Okay? Wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, self-inflicted wounds with many griefs. These things are the things that Paul and the Lord are asking us to run away from. But also, we must learn to run toward things. That's, That's perhaps more important. To understand the things that we're in pursuit of, that we are to keep running towards. Right? Now that's a metaphor. What it means is that we to have our focus and our concentration on those things. And we are, we are to desire for those things to be brought about. And not just desire it, but live according to it. Remember, so the Christian way of life in, in large measure is to realize the grace of God who's given us things already, has made us into our the new man, and, and we're, we're already the sons and daughters of the living God. He's already placed the Spirit in our hearts, Christ in us, all right? All those things are fixed, okay? But then we're, we're, we're asked to be who we are, to live like we know we are. We know that God has declared us righteous. Let's live like we're righteous. We know that we have eternal life. Let's live as those who have eternal life, you see? That's really what's going on here. It's a command to live a certain way. All right. Be in hot pursuit of these other things. Again, go back to verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11. But flee from these things, those evils, you man of God, and then pursue. Go the other direction. What? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We are to pursue those things. We are to be single-minded about having these things mark the way that we live. We live in a righteous manner. We live according to godliness, what God's will is for us. We live according to faith, taking God at his word, and love, love for one another as Christ has loved us. Perseverance, hanging in there when things get rough and gentleness, treating people in that manner. Now, of course, I have another picture. Running towards, just as important. It's running either way, right? But the question is what direction you're running in. Are you running in the direction toward evil or away from it? Are you running away from righteousness and love and godliness or toward it? It's a basic, and, and you can't do both. I mean, picture somebody trying to run in one direction and the other direction at the same time. What happens? You go nowhere, right? You go nowhere. Actually, it's far easier to be sucked in, in, in the backwards way. That there's a, there's a, there, when you're not running forward, believe me, you're going to be running backwards, okay? If you're not p- pursuing the truth, you're going to fall into the lies, okay? That's what he's saying, Now he talks about the pursuit of righteousness. What does that mean? You might say, wait a minute. How can I pursue something that I already have? That's an interesting question. The fact is that, now think about it. Justification is what though? It's God declaring us to be righteous in his eyes forever. That's something we could never pursue. We could try with all our might to pursue this on our own. That's the whole lesson of the gospel. 
That's the, that's the issue that the Jews had. They thought you could pursue this be, your status of being right before God. You can't. You can't. It's absolutely impossible. If you, think, if you don't think that, read Romans chapter 118 through chapter 321, and you'll find that out. We can't pursue that righteousness, that ultimate relationship where God looks at us and declares us to be that. But again, that's who he's declared us to be. The question then becomes, are we living the way that he's said he's made us to be? That's the question. How are we living now? It's a real simple question. Are we living in a righteous manner now? You see, the Lord didn't make us his sons or daughters in order for us to just sit around and say, well, I'm still going to live like I always did live. That's great. I'm glad that the Lord sees me as righteous in his eyes. But you know what? I'm just going to keep living the way I always lived. That's a contradiction. How can you be adopted into royalty and then say, I'm going to still live like somebody on the streets? It doesn't make any sense, and yet we do it all the time. We're told that we're the adopted sons and daughters of the living God. Now, if you're an adopted child of somebody in the perfect family, and a father who's all-powerful and all-loving, then what is it that you are expected to be? You're expected to be a son or a daughter of your father. And it's a contradiction to that to go and live in a manner opposite to who God is, righteous and loving. It's just not, um, not right to do that. And that's what he's talking about. Are we living in a righteous manner? Well, what is that? You know, a lot of times we see these words, especially in this passage where they come in rapid fire, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, and we can nod our heads, and we know these words are good words, but have we really stopped recently to think, what does that mean in a practical way? How do I do that? How do I pursue this righteousness? In other words, living in a righteous manner. I'd like you to turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Holding your place as always, if you can, in 1 Timothy 6, 11, if you've got the holy ribbon, or if you're, some people use their computers now, right? And you can kind of, that's a little, or phones, actually, computers. That reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen these commercials. I forget the insurance company, but it's like you're becoming like your parents. You ever see that commercial? I'm becoming like my parents, you know. Anyway, I'm not so bad as to say we're supposed to turn on the record player, but I'm getting there. You know, I'm, uh, there's a distance between where I live for so long and where my mind still is. You know, your mind goes back to where you grew up when you were in your teenage years. Your favorite music, by and large, is going to be the, that time in your life. In any event, I'm drifting, but you get the point. Are we living in a righteous manner? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. God took the lead. God realized that we could do nothing about our basic situation, problem in life, which was that how can somebody who is evil turn around and make themselves good? It's impossible. How can, when we've broken our relationship with God to the point where he looked at us and said, you're dead, how can we make ourselves alive? We can't. So God had to stoop down in the form of His Son in the gracious act, the giving of His Son on the cross, dying for our sins. That was all His doing. We had nothing to do with that. And having Him be risen from the dead. And then having somebody bring the gospel to us. We couldn't invent the gospel in our wildest dreams. How do we know that? Because look at every religion that's man-made. None of them have grace in it. 
All of them has you got to do this or else. Only Christianity says God has done it. Believe it and live according to what God has done. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us what? Notice, to deny ungodliness now. Now, that's an instruction. He's saying, I've given you everything you need to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. We're in the book of Isaiah. There's, a, there's an equivalent in that book. We're about to look at it. It's in chapter, chapter 5, where he says, I, I, I dug out all that was needed to plant the most amazing vineyard. I hedged, I put a hedge around it. I watered it. I did everything I could. What more can I do for my vineyard? In other words, they had every advantage in their day. They had been given the law. They had been given the sacrifices. They had been given everything, the the, the presence of the Lord in their midst. And yet, they, they didn't act that way. Well, we're called to really the same thing. We have salvation. Now we're instructed to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And notice, how do we do that? We look for something. We look for what? The blessed hope, the rapture, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. What does it mean to live in a righteous manner? Verse 14, who gave himself for us. Why did he give himself for us? Here it says to redeem us from every lawless deed. To redeem us means to pull us away from it. Get us out of those lawless deeds. We just saw them. And to pure notice and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. In other words, he didn't just save us. I've said this so many times, but it bears repeating. He didn't just save us and said, hey, you're saved. Just hang out for a while. And then, you know, you'll either die and go to heaven or the Lord will come back and bring you up there. Just chill. Is that what he says here? He doesn't. Now, it's good to be at rest. But it's also good and important to understand that he's called us to a life. What is it? He said, I'm purifying you. How? So so that you are my possession in how you live. What does that mean? Zealous for good deeds. Our deeds are the way in which we live in a righteous manner. Paul just finished warning us and Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 about evils. For example, we just talked about the evil of the love of money. Now clearly, the love of money is acting in an unrighteous manner. So it's, there we see exactly, well, one of the examples, a big example of what it, the opposite, living in an unrighteous manner. But you've got to ask your question. The question is, okay, so what's the righteous way to live when it comes to money? Now we can do the intellectual math and get there. But what I want all of us to do right now is to just take that question in and of itself, turn it into your life right now, and ask yourself the question. I've got money. What's the righteous way to live when it comes? I know that the desire to get rich isn't it. So what's the opposite of that? By the way, it's not the desire to be poor. All right? That may be what you think. It's not at all. It's something way more glorious than that. Please turn to second. Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What is the righteous way to live when it comes to wealth? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
starting in verse 7. I'll give you a hint. We've seen the grace of God acting in an amazing way for us, have we not? The grace of God just means giving things to us freely without regard to who we are or what we deserve. Giving freely. Okay? Love of money, unrighteous. I wonder what the righteous way is to think about money and all the good gifts that the Lord has given us. To give back. To give generously. That's the righteous way to look at money. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. Wow, wait a minute. So you mean it's not 10%? It doesn't say each one must give 10%, does it? Does it? No, it says, it, where does it start now? Not in the external law, but in his heart. The generosity that God is looking for, the righteous way to live when it comes to wealth, starts with your heart. What, what about our heart? Not grudgingly or under compulsion. You see, under compulsion is the law. That's the legal way. That's the way that under the Mosaic Covenant, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they gave under compulsion. You must give 10% of your income. That's no more. In the church, we've got a whole new way of living. No longer according to the law, but according to the Spirit. Where's the Spirit? In our hearts. That's where, that's the issue now when it comes to money and generosity. He says, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, for God loves what? Who? A cheerful giver. Why do you think God loves a cheerful giver? The big reason of all is because God is a cheerful giver and we're to be his sons and daughters. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. That's why he loves to see that. He's essentially seeing himself in the actions of his children. God loves a cheerful giver. Now how does he make that possible? Notice he gives even here first. He gives more. He's given us his son. He continues to give freely. God is able to make all grace abound to you now. Why? How does that work? So that always having all sufficiency in everything. Meaning he's going to take care of all your needs. He is. Always having all sufficiency in everything. That's how it starts. The other thing about this dispensation, this church age that we're in, is that he doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. But he gives it to us so that we do have it. So we really have no excuse. He's given us what we need, not only to enjoy the things of this life, but also to be able to give to others who are in need. If this, if this were the way that the church worked, we would see in a practical way what it means for everybody to have all sufficiency in everything. And if there's one place in the world where we ought to be able to see that, it's right here in the United States of America where he has blessed us with prosperity never seen before on planet Earth. And here we are. Now we're in the church, but we're still the beneficiaries of the economy that we're in, of the, of the, of the laws that allow us to protect our own wealth and so forth. Well, he has provided magnificently for us. And you know, we don't think of it that way, but that's to our detriment. You see, and by the way, the things of the Lord are never about the amount, never about who's in a better position than somebody else. That's the way we think about it, but that's not the way God thinks about it. 
He's only concerned with the things of the heart. And he's saying to you, listen, you may look at your life and say, you know what, I don't have what so-and-so has. But that's the wrong attitude. Has God given you things to enjoy? That's the right attitude. And since he has, how can I just show that generosity? It doesn't mean that you have, oh, look, he gave $10,000 to Mission Aviation Fellowship. Ah, I, don't, I can't do that. No, you can't. Maybe. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe there's people out here who can. But if you can't, he's saying that really is not, that's not what I'm looking for in the amount. Right? I'm looking for you to be like me. I'm looking for you to have the heart of generosity. To realize that, you know, look at that. Look at that in my life. I've, I've been prospered there. Maybe not in the, in the financial realm and the pecking order, but look at there. Look what I have. You know, and that could be all kinds of things. Maybe you're a great cook and you have the ability to, to, to provide food to somebody else who's in need. Maybe. Maybe you just have a lot of time on your hands. Maybe you have a lot of kindness. We've been given spiritual gifts. Maybe you're able to teach. Maybe you're able to lead, right? That's all giving too, but it's the heart. It's the desire. John talks about the fact that don't close your heart to your brother in need. It starts in the heart. If you have, if you have a heart... To give, right here, God promises to provide you the ability to give. That's what he's saying. Notice, eight, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. There's all kinds of ways in which God gives us in a way that we can turn and give to others. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance. But when do you get an abundance? So that we may spend it on our own frivolous desires. Is that what it say? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you can party on down. You can buy all you want. No. Keep going. That you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see, that's how God works. He's saying, I'm going to give them an abundance. And the purpose is, it's earmarked, if you want to put it that way, for the good deeds you're going to do for others. This is not cause and effect. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is just the way God works. It's just the way he works. Let's continue. Notice the attitude. Verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor his... Let's try that again. Verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor his righteousness. There it is. See, righteousness is just not some fuzzy concept or just thinking about um, the fact that we've been declared righteous. That's the most important thing. But when it comes to the righteousness that Paul is talking about to Timothy, pursuing it, we can't pursue the righteousness of God. He had to give it to us. But we can pursue this. Here's the righteousness that he's talking about. He scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, by the way, he doesn't provide seed so that somebody can just pack it away and never use it, right? Does that make any sense? Have a barn full of seed? What good is that doing anybody, right? He provides seed to the sower, the one who is then going to plant so that there's a harvest. Think about it in terms of prosperity and giving. That's why he's giving it. And bread for food. Notice, will supply and multiply your seed for, for what? Hoarding? No, what does it say? Sowing. 
This isn't sowing. You know, it's sowing the, the seeds that he's given us for that purpose. And then what happens? Increase the harvest. That's what happens. When somebody plants seeds, the harvest increases. What kind of harvest, though? Increase the harvest of righteousness. You see? That's why he's given us these things. We might say, well, he's given these things to me so I can give such and such to so and so. Absolutely. But what really matters is the harvest of your righteousness. Where it comes from. Why you're doing it. Participating in God's righteousness. In our, light, our daily life. Participating in it. The Lord says to us in Romans chapter 8. He basically says, the Lord Jesus died on the cross. So that we could in turn, by the power of the Spirit, fulfill, it says a lot of translations here, requirements of the law. It's not the requirements. It's the righteousness of the law. It's that which was behind it all along. The reason why the Lord said you should take care of the widow and the orphan was so that we would have a generous spirit. That we would increase the harvest of our own righteousness as we do it. Paul says the same thing to the Philippians. If you were to read in chapter 4 of the letter to the Philippians, don't go there now. But he says, listen, he says, I am really excited about the fact that I finally received this gift from you. But my excitement doesn't come from how I'm going to spend it. It comes from what has increased to your account in the heavenly things, the things of righteousness. And by the way, the more you pursue righteousness, this is an important principle, the more you pursue righteousness, guess what? The more distance you put between yourself and temptation. There is a satisfaction with giving, for example. Your soul is satisfied. So you're not tempted by anything. If you're pursuing something, you can't be turning around at the same time and it's opposite. The more you pursue righteousness, giving generously is an example. It's by far not the only thing the more that you run away, the more distance you put between you and temptation. One more time, 1 Timothy 6.11. Okay, we've been there. But flee from these things, love of money, for example, you man of God, and pursue righteousness. What's the next thing? This is again 1 Timothy. Let me put that up. Sorry about that. We're back in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 6 again. We're in verse 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Flee from these things, those evils, envy, love of money, you men of God, and pursue righteousness. What's the next word? Godliness. Now we've been talking about godliness because Paul talks about godliness a, a lot in this letter. Well, what is it? Well, we've gotten as far as seeing that what it really means is um, teaching and behavior that lines up with God's will. Remember we saw that a few times? But then you have to say, let's get more practical about that. Okay, I get it. There's teaching and behavior that makes sense. But what does that look like? What's the, what is the behavior that's according to godliness? What does that look like? And I'd like you, I don't have this in the notes or, or anything. I don't have a slide for it. But I would like you to turn now to the book of Romans. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Thought about this this morning. An illustration of godliness. It's a notoriously difficult word to grasp for a lot of people. Godliness. Let's see it. Let's see it in action. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. 
Therefore, I urge you. Notice this is another command of sorts, all right? An urging and encouraging and imploring. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, which, which by the way, Romans 3 to 11 is all about that. God's grace, God's mercy. To do what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Christ died as a sacrifice. We are to live in a sacrificial manner, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But I want you to see verse 2. We'll go on, but I want you to see verse 2. Notice, do not be conformed to this world. Flee the things of the world and be transformed into the things that we've seen, righteousness, godliness. How? How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. By, by, by having a way we think, right, transformed. And that comes by the word of God. All right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but then there's a purpose. Go on. Well, our minds are renewed, then what? So that you may prove what the will of God is. That's a great definition, as we've seen, of godliness. Proving what the will of God is. That which is good. This is what we're to pursue and acceptable. And perfect. Okay. So what does that look like? Please turn to verse 6. Just go forward a few verses now. Since we have gifts that differ, this is what godliness looks like in practice. Okay. Specifics now. So you can really get your arms around it. All right. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, pursue faith. If service, in his serving. In other words, the way that we prove the will of God, the way that we live in a godly manner, is to take the gifts he's given us and live in them. Serving. He who teaches in his teaching. As you teach, you're doing this. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives, we've already seen this, with liberality. He who leads with diligence. Notice there are things of the heart that go alongside these gifts, all right? And and it's in living this way. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's go on. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy, right? Flee and pursue. Abhor what is evil, cling to, grasp what is good. How do we do that? Here's where we get real practical. Be devoted to one another. That's godliness in action. That's righteousness. Being devoted to one another. It is not not some misty-eyed, you know, it is practical. What are we to do? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What else? Give preference to one another in honor. That's when you're living righteously. That's when you're living in a godly manner. When you're, when you're, persevering when you're giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. You see, that's the pursuit. You see, we can kind of shuffle along, but that's not what what Paul tells Timothy. He says, run, pursue. Well, you have to have diligence. You can't lag behind. Be devoted to one another. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. This is the diligent approach to the godliness that we are to live in, the righteousness. He says rejoice in hope, is that word, persevere in tribulation, 
devoted to prayer. How do you live a godly life? Be devoted to prayer. All right? not, not in a religious manner, but in your heart. Desiring to be praying for, for others that are in need, for the, for the church to grow spiritually first and foremost of all. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer of praise. Prayer of thanks. That's how you, be, that's how you live righteously, live godly. He goes on. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Ah, we've seen that a couple of times, haven't we? Practicing hospitality and so on. Bless those who persecute you. That's living righteously. Why? Because that's what God did. That's what Christ did. He said, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, listen, your Father doesn't, doesn't differentiate. The rain falls on the good and the evil. You're going to bless those who persecute you. All right, then I want you to drop down to verse 16. And we're just going to read this quickly. But be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be arrogant, but be humble. Associate with the lowly. Can you see how this is really clear, practical? How do I do it? This is how you do it. Associate with the lowly. Look around. See those who are hurting, those who are lowly, those who are ignored by other people. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace. Don't be striving, fighting. Be at peace with all men. 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. God says, not yours, it's mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. And then, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. This is the righteous manner. This is the living according to the will of God. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. But then notice verse 21. We're right back to fleeing and pursuing. Do not be overcome by evil. See, if you run in a lackadaisical manner, guess what? Eventually, evil is going to come by and overcome you, right? However, overcome evil with good. It's really that simple. But we've seen now the definitions of what good is about. It's not, again, it's not just this vague concept. It's not something you put in a card. It's living this way. If you want to overcome evil, live according to what we've just seen. Be devoted to one another. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's how you do it. Okay, so we ought to pursue godliness. Look at, go back now to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11. Let's keep going. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness. Again, teaching and behavior that line up with the will of God as illustrated in Romans 12. We ought to pursue faith. Pursue it. What does that mean? It means continuing to take God at his word. Continuing to go to God's word, take him at his word. Believe in that, whatever it is that he's saying to us. Pursue love. Pursue love. God is love. We're to pursue it. That's a life where we love one another as Christ has loved us. And there's a lot of ways in which we do that. And the key is to just look at Christ and how he loved us on the cross. And that'll, now you'll understand the depth of what this love is all about. We had to pursue perseverance. That practically means holding up under sorrows. 
holding up, hanging in there. When things get rough, holding our ground, not, not panicking. We ought to pursue gentleness. That's how we treat people. We ought to treat people in a gentle manner, a humble manner, in a compassionate manner. That's gentleness. And at the same time, we're running. We're running in such a way that we may win. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith, the competition. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Wow. That's another one. We're to pursue righteousness and we're to take hold of eternal life. Now, wait a minute. Eternal life, I've been given that already, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We have it. So how am I supposed to pursue it if I have it? Well, we've already seen the answer, right? We take hold of it in this life. We've been given the words of eternal life, after all, the gospel, the message of the gospel. That's eternal life, but it's for others now, right? How do we hold on and grasp and take hold of eternal life? We answer a call to preach the gospel to others because that's their eternal life. That's how you live in it. We've been given eternal life. We will never lose it. But the question is, are we living that life now? That's the question. What is eternal life? See, all these things, just go to God's word. Please stay somehow in 1 Timothy 6 and then go back to John chapter 17. There's no question you're going to have in reading a scripture that there isn't an answer to. If it's not there, it's somewhere else. Okay? What is eternal life? John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3. We've been given eternal life, but how do we live in it now? John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Hey, that's the question. Here's the answer. But please concentrate on this answer. All right? it's, it, it's more than what you may see at first. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. What is it? That they may know you. This is Jesus. On the night before he goes to the cross, he's now dealt with, I put it that way, he's now given all the things he wants to give to his disciples, and then finally he's there, and it's him and his father, and he's having this prayer, the most amazing prayer in the Bible. Okay? People talk about the Lord's Prayer. Okay, that's fine. But this is the real Lord's Prayer. This is where he, we can see him praying to the Father. Okay, what does he say in verse 3? This is eternal life, Father, that they may know you. See, that was the whole idea. If you think about it, for all of eternity, the whole key is to know, love, and worship God forever. To know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. How are we doing with that? How do we do that? Well, let me tell you something. There's, there's one way. It's in the Old Testament. I want you to see it. Jeremiah 9.23. We're wrapping up here. Jeremiah 9.23. Remember, this is eternal life. You, you see, we've been given it. We have it. And again, the whole issue is, are we living in it? 
Are we living in such a way that eternal life is, we're more and more grasping it, more and more living it. Notice more and more, all right, because there'll never be an end to how we pursue eternal life. And again, it's not we've been given it, but how we enter into it, how we live in it, how we hold on to it, how we are participating in it. Notice Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. That's not, that's not eternal life. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. You see, these kind of people think they're living large. But they're not living eternal life. They're living a worldly life where that can all be and will be destroyed. Your wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. There will be a day when you don't have that. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But here's the one boast. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That's eternal life. To pursue the understanding and the knowledge of the Lord. And we will never, even in this book, we'll never run out of ways in which we can get to know the Lord better in his ways. I mean, we've been, we've, you know, it doesn't matter what book we turn to. We'll learn something about who the Lord is. But, and then understand how we can participate in it. If he says, here I am the one who takes care of the lowly, that's eternal life but how do we live in that? You take care of the lowly. You see, it's very practical. All right, so and then he tells us, right? He says, listen, I want you to understand me. Who am I? I'm the Lord who exercises himself loving kindness, grace. He himself ex- exercises justice. If we want to live in eternal life, so should we. He, he exercises righteousness on the earth. I delight in these things, says the Lord. If you know somebody and you know what they delight in and you, and you try to give them what they delight in, right? If you know somebody really well, the person think about the person you know better than anybody else in this world. Humanly speaking, I want you to think about that. Okay? Well, first of all, why? And the answer is why? Because there's been this relationship that's been built, an intimacy that's getting greater, and that's what we're, That's how we live in eternal life. But now with a person, with the Lord, with the Lord, I delight in these things. Let's get to know what the Lord delights in and then live in it. All right, let's wrap up. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going back to thinking about this race that we're in. Running away from the things that are evil. Running towards righteousness and love. Well, you know, when you run well, the trick to continue to run is the word called momentum. You know, if you're running fast, you've got a lot of momentum. Think about how hard it is to stop. I saw something this morning I don't want to tell you about, but I saw what happens when you don't stop. Okay? Traffic accident. It's hard to stop when you've got a lot of momentum. What does that mean? Keep running, keep running, keep running. Build that momentum up. It's, going, it's making you go faster and faster and heading more and more to the goal, the destination. Well, in the spiritual life, how do we do that? It translates to motivation. Having great motivation to hang in there when things get tough. Motivated to love one another. Motivated to give generously. How do we get that motivation? Verses 7 through 15 
tell us that. Seven, 13 through, wow, 13 to 16. Where did I get seven? I don't know. First Timothy 6, 13 through 16, motivation. Motivation to persevere in the race. You know what we have here? We have solemn reminders. It's a reminder about who is it that entered you in the race to begin with. It's a reminder about the only one who's ever run his own race perfectly. It's a reminder about who's observing you and I as we run. And it's a reminder about who's waiting for you at the finish line. 1 Timothy 6.13 I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. He's the source of all life. And of Christ Jesus in His humanity who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He endured. He endured the cross. He did it after confessing to Pilate that He was the King of the Jews. And that was, He was rejected. And that meant He was going to the cross. But He did it. Verse 14, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. What's the commandment? We've just seen it. it's, It's not rocket science. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep doing that. Keep running your race until the Lord comes back, right? He says, listen, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to picture it. You're running your race. And you're running. You know you're going in the right direction. You see this light at the end of the tunnel. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. That's the imagery here. He appears. Finally, I'm at the end. I can, I, I've hit the finish line. Do it. Keep fighting the good fight of faith until the Lord appears. The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Fight the good fight of faith. And that refers to the instructions that Paul has given us in this letter. That's how we do it. We've seen this morning. It talks about the stain, right? Keeping the commandment without stain or reproach. That's not rocket science either. It just refers to the evils from which we must flee. If we don't, we'll have stain and reproach. This is really straightforward. And again, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ refers to the end of of the church age. What's going to happen then? We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord face to face, finally, in the air. One of my favorite pictures of the rapture. There it is. It's going to happen. It could happen tonight. But in the meantime, we are not to just sit there and go to some mountaintop, right? That's the image people have. Oh, it's going to come. It's going to mount. I'll be, I'll be first because I'm highest up and all that. No. We are continue to fight the good fight of faith. We are continue to pursue righteousness, godliness, love, perseverance. That's what he, when he comes, man, we want to be running still. Running right into his arms at the end. How do we do that? Pursuing these things. Pursuing righteousness, godliness, love, perseverance, gentleness. That's how we do it. We know God the Father will bring this about at the proper time. In the meantime, we press on. And then at the end, Paul simply bursts into a hymn of praise for God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the, by the way, the two are inseparable. You might read part of this and think, that's about God the Father. Yes. And you read the next part and he says, that's about Jesus Christ. Yes. And guess what? They're one and the same. Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. 
That's, that's the, what this is celebrating here at the end. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He who alone possesses immortality, the source of life, God, and dwells in unapproachable light, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom no man has seen or can see. That's God the Father. That's the essence of God. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let's run the race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the beginning and the end of the race. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for opening up our eyes, hopefully the eyes of our heart even wider, for your glory, for your righteousness, for your love, your will. We thank you for those things. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells in our heart. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is in us, the hope of his glory. We've been given everything, and and, and we've been given everything we need to run this race, and yet it's it's what we, we can choose either to go forward or to stand still or go backwards. And we know that when we go forward, we have the greatest momentum and motivation possible. Looking at you, the source of our life, looking at our Lord Jesus Christ and being propelled forward by the power of the Spirit. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Father, as we close today too, we also want to pray, want to pray for the other saints. When we're in the race, we're not in a competition with one another. We all have our own race and we're rooting for one another. We pray for all the saints. We pray for those who are most need, most most difficulty, if I may say so, most de- desperate circumstances, who need this message the most, the motivation to go forward, to persevere. We would pray, Father, that they would get that motivation, that they would give in that message, and that we would stand with them, running right beside them. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. We'll get more on Thursday. Thursday is 6.30. Come and join us. We're going to see how remarkably Isaiah, that book, corresponds to the things that we've been looking at in the New Testament and also speaks to us in our time, in our time, with, what, with what's going on in the nations now, including our own. All right, so it's really something. It's opening up for all of us as we continue to study it. At the end, we have people want to know when we pray. Well, we pray always as individuals. We pray as a body on Thursday evenings at the end of that Bible study. We're to give generously. And you know, uh, to the extent that you see that this ministry is ministering to people, that's one way. Now, again, we take the principles that we've read this morning from 2 Corinthians verse 9. We want you to be cheerful when you give to anybody, but also to the church. The last thing we want to do is disobey the idea and put you under compulsion. That's a violation. God never gave that way. He gave freely. We want you to give freely. All right? That's your motivation. That's really the only... We want to celebrate what goes into your spiritual account. That's most important. All right? That doesn't mean we don't have needs. You know we do, especially now. 
We're selling the building. We're downsizing. Okay? You can participate in a great way. We're going to make it. All right? Through the generosity of others who they've already done. All right? Like Steve and Marilyn. Okay? We're going to make it. But don't you want to participate in that? Don't you want to? It's not the amount. It's just the idea that we're all working together towards something. All right. We have different ways you can give. You know, we can, you can go online if you like to do that, the high-tech way. Not high-tech anymore, but credit card or PayPal. You can um, mail it to us if you want. There's different ways of doing it. But we would, we would ask you to consider that, especially at this time. I told you today we have the words of eternal life. We receive them from the Lord. It's a message by which others can believe and be given eternal life. The message we have that think of it. Think of it. What's more precious and powerful than to know that you have been given the words of eternal life? And these are the words that we're all born sinners. That God sent his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He died for our sins and all the sins of the people. He was buried. On the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead. That's the message. Why did he do it? So that whoever simply believes in Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead on the third day, will never perish, but have eternal life. You see, to us, I hope that's second nature spiritually. I hope that if you wake up in the middle of the night and somebody says, what's the gospel? You can just, boom, you know it. Okay? They don't know it. They don't know it. They need to know it. We're the veal. We're the vessel. Let's do it. All right, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again today. We especially want to thank you now, Father, for the provision you've given us. Yes, material, but more importantly, spiritual the things that you've given us for our hearts. And also, Father, we mostly we want to thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would pray that as Timothy was to receive motivation, we ought to receive it too. We ask, Father, for that same motivation to see before us where we're headed, to understand that the most wonderful thing we can do is to imitate you and pursue your righteousness and your godliness. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, dismissed and enjoy the day, but live the way we're called to live too.